As we near the end of this series on the divine name, we need to address some more important questions and objections. Won't we offend Jews if we try to pronounce God's name in some other way than a title or circumlocution? Won't rendering God's name as a name in translations spoil the literary effect? And what's the position of the Catholic Church on the use of the divine name? You're listening to Working for the Word. I'm Andrew Case. Let's do this. Now, as we've already seen, and as a lot of you already know, Jews can be offended by the pronunciation of the divine name in any way besides Adonai or Hashem or something like that. Even though this reaction ignores the Mishnah's teaching as we saw earlier in Berachot 9.5. So, if you look up this whole issue... There's an article on the Jewish Virtual Library. So if you go to jewishvirtuallibrary.org, there's a whole article on the name of God. So you can learn about some of these details. They say on this site, although the prohibition on pronunciation applies only to the four-letter name, Jews customarily do not pronounce any of God's many names except in prayer or study. The usual practice is to substitute letters or symbols so that Adonai becomes Adoshem or Hashem, which Hashem means the name in Hebrew. Eloheinu and Elohim become Elokeinu and Elokim, etc. So the point is, religious Jews are not only trying to avoid saying the divine name, Yahweh, but they're trying to avoid even saying the substitute titles like Adonai. So they're going two steps or two levels removed from mentioning God's name or referring to him. So this might be like somebody in English saying, okay, I'm not going to say the divine name, but I'm also not going to refer to God as Lord or even God. So I'm going to do a a whole step back from that and maybe just refer to him as sir or something like that. So, so that's the issue here. For many who live and work in Israel, the issue of pronouncing the divine name can be an emotional and personal one, and I would say even volatile. And I say volatile because some rabbis asserted that a person who pronounces the divine name according to its letters instead of using a substitute, has no place in the world to come and should be put to death. So, that's pretty serious. Dr. Jan Verbruggen offers an example of this in the following post that he put online. So, he writes, I do not think it is a sin or even wrong to pronounce the divine name, as long as it is used in a reverent manner. However, I still do not pronounce it for two reasons. Number one, having studied under Jewish teachers, 
or teachers who themselves had Jewish teachers. I am used to saying Adonai instead of Yahweh. Number two, this second reason for me is the stronger one. I once attended a conference that was trying to bridge the gap between Jews and evangelical Christians. One of the speakers, a well-known evangelical scholar, went on eloquently about his topic, all the while pronouncing the divine name as Yahweh. As he did, I noticed that some of the Jewish scholars present were so appalled that they were physically shaking. So then, for the sake of not offending our Jewish friends, we Christians seem to have been experts at that in the past, I have chosen not to pronounce the divine name. As I see it, there is no reason to erect an unnecessary wall between us. End quote. And amen, right? Of course, nobody, none of us, wants to erect unnecessary walls between anyone. But let's think about this. Let's, let's break this down. As we've already talked about, any objections that don't address both Exodus 3.15 and the New Testament's use of the Lord undermine their relevance to the discussion, in my opinion. So, once again... Verbruggen does not address these things. His motives are admirable and guided by love, which is to be commended. And obviously, nobody wants to be accused of anti-Semitism. And true followers of Christ never wish to intentionally offend anyone out of malice. Nobody wants to build barriers between Jews and Christians. So, that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's obvious, and that's commendable. But when raising objections like this one, I suggest that it would be fair to raise the parallel question of what might offend God and build unnecessary barriers between him and us. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you think that's fair. I think it's fair. Could it be possible to show our Jewish friends how much we love, reverence, and honor God by actually using his name? You know, it does not seem unreasonable to think that we might use such an opportunity to model obedience to God's wishes in Exodus 3.15, and I don't believe that the Jews should be the only ones who get to show their reverence for God by not saying his name. Rather, Christians ought to have the freedom to read God's word, follow it, and honor his desire that we use his name as he has revealed it, so that it be remembered throughout all generations, if you have that conviction. So, we are the foreigners from Isaiah 56, 6. We are the foreigners who are called to join ourselves to him and love the name of Yahweh. That's that's what it talks about in Isaiah 56. And if we are to love his name, as Psalm 69, 36 talks about, well, we've got to offer solid, careful, biblical reasons why we decide to obscure it before men or in translations. So, I say, if, if we're going to love his name, but not say it, like 
this author, well, we've got to offer solid, careful, biblical reasons why we decide to obscure it. Why, why do I say that? Because I would argue that most people are not offering solid, careful, biblical reasons for obscuring it. The reasons that we just heard from Verbruggen are very typical, I would say, of most people I hear talking about this. So, number one, number one reason is he's used to it. He's just used to saying Adonai. Okay, well, I wouldn't call that a solid, careful, biblical reason. Number two, he says, and this is the stronger one for him, that in this one experience that he had, he saw that people were visibly appalled and shaking and offended by the use of Yahweh. Okay, well, that's, that's fine, but I'm sure those scholars, those Jewish scholars present would also have been more physically shaking and appalled if somebody had said that Jesus is the Son of God. So, I'm just saying that the fear of man, or we could call it the respect of man and other cultures and that kind of thing, is not necessarily a solid, careful, biblical reason for going against something that's clear in Scripture. So, I'm just saying that I think it's pretty clear in Scripture that we have to deal with God's desire that his name be remembered. Now, I'm not saying that I know how to pronounce it as Moses pronounced it, and I'm not saying that and I'm not saying that everybody automatically has to have this conviction. I'm just saying that people need to grapple with these texts and these issues, and then they need to get there to wherever they land on their own, right? But they need to address the big ones, the big issues in this whole discussion or else it really just undermines their reasoning and their practice. So, let's continue on with this. There's another objection that comes to the table here, is that it spoils the literary effect if we use the name Yahweh or something like that. So, this is similar to the objection of the CSB committee that we talked about last time. Remember that? This guy named Michael D. Marlowe, the editor of BibleResearcher.com, voices the following complaint about the ASV's use of Yahweh. So, here's what he says. The Hebrew tetragrammaton or divine name represented as Lord in the New Testament is everywhere rendered Yahweh, which spoils the literary effect of many passages, especially in the Psalms. End quote. My response to this objection is simple. Literary effect is subjective and thus should not be given as a significant argument for or against the use of Yahweh or some other rendering of the divine name. Gleason Archer actually expresses the exact opposite opinion about the same ASV in the following. He writes, the avowed purpose of these translators is to abandon all traditional Bible English and to produce a completely new rendering on the basis of contemporary English vocabulary and usage. 
This pursuit of modernity has not gone to the extremes of the new English Bible, nor is it a mere Phillips paraphrase. Actually, it often displays a real vitality, which is refreshingly original and lends a heightened impact. Very striking is the abandonment of the traditional Lord for the Tetragrammaton and also the traditional Jehovah in favor of the historical pronunciation Yahweh. The RSV, the NEB, and most other modern translations have shied away from this, but it looks and sounds very well, to this reviewer at least, in this work, and it may serve to encourage future translators to follow suit. End quote. So, the point is, this whole thing is subjective, whether it sounds literary, whether it sounds pleasant to say God's name or pronounce it in some way, or just to say Lord. We're all influenced by our background, by what we're used to. It plays such a strong role, you know? The use of the name Lord, the sound of the name Lord, is completely embedded in Western culture now. In American Christianity, I don't think it's ever going to go away. It is something that is so powerfully part of our biblical imagination. It is so part of our church DNA. You know, it's very hard to take it out and replace it with something that we're not used to. That said, I really like what Barry Webb has to say, the way he says it, in the introduction to his translation and commentary on Judges. I think he provides a good model for how to deal with this issue both humbly and honestly. So here's what he writes. There is admittedly something rather presumptuous about scholars, especially Christian ones, deciding to use the personal name of God, in reality their own hypothetical version of it, when those who transmitted the text to us as Holy Scripture refrained from doing so. Nevertheless, I have chosen to render the Tetragrammaton as Yahweh, mainly because of the intensely personal way in which God is depicted in the judge's narrative. As a character interacting with other characters and manifesting all the angst involved in being in a committed relationship with people who are again and again unfaithful to him. A descriptive title such as Lord seemed to me to throw the emphasis too much on one dimension of this relationship at the expense of others, and therefore to be much less suited to the drama involved than the personal name. I hope that Jewish readers will forgive my impertinence. End quote. So I thought that was a helpful example from him. Now, as a last issue that we need to talk about, let's dive into the Roman Catholic perspective on all of this. So, I want to read to you a post online from a guy named Antonius Lupus. He writes, First, we must recognize that there is no law, canonical or divine, that forbids usage of the divine name, even in its most proper pronunciation outside of liturgical events. Thus, one can find many Bibles, devotionals, texts, and such which have the divine name printed or used in such a way that expects verbal expression. The Church, being the new Israel, 
tolerates this practice and really doesn't speak one way or the other, but simply asserts that the custom of the substitutionary reverence of the name be respected. Private devotion, however, is a different matter. Theologically speaking, one can justify quite easily a Christian's ability, or even right in some sense, to verbalize the divine name. We are literally sons and daughters of God. We know God through the intimacy of Jesus Christ. God dwells within us and so on. Usage of the divine name also can provide an intimacy with God and a sense of deepened identity with the old covenant, which has been continued and fulfilled in the new. Second, it is clear that compromises can be made with the divine name so as to keep the usage close but imperfect out of respect for the name. The pronunciation of the Tetragrammaton is very precise and follows a form of Hebrew that is no longer spoken natively. Thus, one can easily garble the true pronunciations while keeping the general structure. Some examples include Yahweh, 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 these are all spelled differently. Yah, Javeh, Ja, Yabeh, Yao, and so on. One can also use a device founded by our Jewish ancestors, which inserts different vowels into the Tetragrammaton, creating new names, which are by nature titles, such as Jehovah, Yehovah, Yahoveh, Yiyeh. Jehovah, and more. Third, we must recognize that the name of God is found more fully in Christ than in the Tetragrammaton. The name Jesus is derived from the Hebrew Yehoshua, meaning Yahweh saves. It was shortened in the mid to late Old Covenant to Yeshua, which is the Hebrew slash Aramaic form of our Lord's name. Thus, any time the name of Jesus is mentioned, the divine name is included by the nature of the Hebraic formula as Ye, Ya, and Yo, all form linguistically equivalent expressions of the name Yahweh. This truth reminds us that the name of Jesus is far more exalted and worthy of reverence than even the divine name in the New Covenant. The Catechism of the Catholic Church explains, this is in CCC 2666, but the one name that contains everything is the one that the Son of God received in his incarnation, Jesus. The divine name may not be spoken by human lips, but by assuming our humanity, the Word of God hands it over to us and we can invoke it. Jesus, Yahweh saves. The name Jesus contains all, God and man, and the whole economy of creation and salvation. To pray Jesus is to invoke him and to call him within us. His name is the only one that contains the presence it signifies. Jesus is the risen one, and whoever invokes the name of Jesus is welcoming the Son of God who loved him and who gave himself up for him. End quote. That's the end of the quote of the catechism. Continue on with what he writes. So I would say that a Christian is free to use the divine name, preferably in a compromised form, 
during his or her private devotions, especially if it is invoked in silence. Any utterance, however, must be accompanied by all due reverence, honor, and sense of the sacred. Any usage of the divine name or titles and words related to it, God, Lord, etc., which are used disrespectfully or even frivolously, is a sin against the second commandment. That being said, I encourage, instead, an increased usage and sense of reverence be cultivated in the name of Jesus, as the Catechism states above. In the name Jesus, we receive all that was and is and will be the power of the divine name, Yahweh, and also the very presence of Christ in our hearts. I personally pray with the usage Yahweh to God, especially on important or momentous occasions. However, I strive to follow the Catechism's teaching and rely more on the name of Christ than the divine name as it was used in the Old Testament. I submit everything I have said, written, or implied to the judgment and correction of the Holy Mother Church, most especially the Holy Roman Church, under whose care I have been placed by God. Anything here that contradicts the teaching of Holy Mother Church in any way is null, void, and downright incorrect, and should be seen as such. End quote. So, just a few words of comment on what we just read. First of all, he says that you can pronounce the name, but out of respect for the name, you should pronounce it imperfectly using these little tricks that he gives as examples to garble the true pronunciation (laughs) while keeping the general structure. So, I'm not sure how you respect a name by garbling it or by pronouncing it imperfectly. That is unclear to me. Second, He makes it very clear that the name of God is found more fully in Christ than in the Tetragrammaton. Okay, so let's say we go with that. My question then is, why are we not taking more pains to get around the pronunciation of Jesus and make sure we don't pronounce his name out of respect? So that's that's the big question. Why are are we not doing that? Is it because the New Testament doesn't do that? Or because there's no tradition within the church of doing that? It seems very inconsistent, very, very inconsistent to say that the name of Jesus, he says, the name of Jesus is far more exalted and worthy of reverence than even the divine name. And so, if it's more worthy of reverence than Yahweh, Shouldn't we be even more careful not to ever say it, not to ever pronounce it, or do something, anything that communicates our reverence for the name of Jesus? How are we communicating that if we really believe that it's more exalted and worthy of reverence than the name Yahweh? I don't see the Catholic Church doing anything differently with the name of Jesus that makes me think, they reverence this more than the the divine name. So, that's a huge inconsistency to me. And then finally, at the beginning, he says that there's no law, canonical or divine, that forbids usage of the divine name, even in its most proper pronunciation, 
outside of liturgical events. So what he's implying there is that within liturgical events, there is a law that forbids usage of the divine name. He doesn't talk about where that comes from. But as we've mentioned in past episodes, that is the current practice. You cannot, within liturgical events, pronounce the name of God. And this is why it's a big motivation for Catholic translations like the New Jerusalem Bible to switch from using Yahweh to Lord so that it can be used within liturgy. So, at the end of the day, if what this guy is saying is true about the Catholic Church and its perspective on this, and I think it is, I think he's being very fair and representative, then they have some serious questions that need to be answered. And notice that in all of his discussion, never mentions Exodus 3.15. Not once. Doesn't even bring it up. And unfortunately, as I've said before, this is par for the course. So many people, when they're talking about this, they don't acknowledge at all Exodus 3.15 in their discussion. And that's really unfortunate. It's a sad and rather pathetic oversight. So, what's the conclusion here? I've done my best to consider carefully these two primary criteria that I've mentioned. Exodus 3.15 and the New Testament's use of kurios, or the Lord. And answer objections. So, my answer to question number one. So, we started out this whole, this whole podcast series with a question. Two questions, actually. Number one, would it be better for translations of the Hebrew Bible to use some approximation of Yahweh or a title like the Lord? And the second question was, when teaching and reading Hebrew outside of Israel today, would it be better to pronounce his name as some approximation like Yahweh or say Adonai, Lord? So, my answer to question one would be, in most cases, Yahweh. Since the large number of occurrences of Adonai in the Hebrew Bible would serve to accomplish what the New Testament writers wanted, while at the same time keep it sounding familiar to those who hold dear the tradition of translations using some equivalent of the title Lord. So that's my personal opinion there. Obviously, for new translations in other language communities, this decision would ultimately fall to the language community. But I would encourage them to proceed with a decision only after meticulous deliberation and a thorough understanding of the matter. And they should be able to justify their decision in light of the two primary criteria, Exodus 3.15 and the New Testament. Now, regarding question two, my conclusion is that we should try to pronounce some approximation of Yahweh in most situations when teaching and reading Hebrew today outside of Israel. If I found myself teaching biblical Hebrew to a group of Jews in Israel, out of love and respect for them, I would choose to use Adonai if they voiced offense at the alternative just as I believe the apostles would have done. Now, that said, 
I would be sure to explain to them much of what is in this paper to make sure they continue in their tradition with eyes wide open to the issues. Love and respect would compel me to try to persuade them to think clearly, biblically, and honestly about the matter, because I do not think that 99.9% of them are thinking clearly, biblically, and honestly about the matter, as I have found with most scholars in other places. They're just not actually considering all of these issues carefully. So I think there is a balance we can strike here. We can still avoid erecting unnecessary boundaries between us and the Jews while out of love and respect, having a dialogue and trying to understand where each other is coming from. You know, I would like to talk to them and ask them, for instance, according to your own historical tradition and teaching in Berachot 9.5, you guys say that it's fine to use the divine name even in casual greetings. What's up with that? Have you ignored that? Do you have a clear explanation for why you're going against that tradition now today? Explain that a little bit. Do you even know that that teaching exists? And I bet most of them don't. Anyway, that about wraps it up for this episode on the divine name. There's still one more thing I want to do with you guys before we finish this whole series. And that's just look at a lot of key verses where a title substitute for the divine name is awkward or inadequate, and then look at other key verses that highlight the importance of the name of God. So, it's just going through a long list of these kinds of things together in a podcast, I think would be really fruitful and helpful. Two things before we go. I want to announce that I have finished my new novel, Evangeline of Sky Valley, and that is now available on Amazon. If anybody wants to check that out, go for it. Honestly, I think I'm a much better writer of fiction than I am a podcaster. So uh, that's what I would love to draw people's attention to. It's been a work and labor of love to create this novel over the last four or so years. And it is a sequel. So the first book in the series is called Christina of Aspen Isle. And this one is called Evangeline of Sky Valley. You can check them both out on Amazon. The first one is on Audible. It's also on my website, hismagnificence.com. And if you'll forgive a shameless plug, let me read to you the endorsement written by Mike Mason, the best-selling author of The Mystery of Marriage and Champagne for the Soul. He says about the novel, Khalil Gibran wrote, What is it to work with love? It is to weave cloth with threads drawn from your heart, even as if your beloved were to wear that cloth. This is the quality that I find in this writing. Case weaves together words in a cloth fit to be worn by our king. Imagine the biblical song of songs written as a contemporary novel. If that notion appeals to you, you'll love this book. Ebullient, scintillating, tintinabulous, 
what words could possibly describe the crackling freshness of language and the chaste holy feelings unleashed in this book? Hardly ever in a work of fiction or even nonfiction will you read a truer, purer, more uplifting account of love and marriage as God intended it than in Evangeline of Sky Valley. End quote. And the second announcement I wanted to make was if you like singing in Hebrew or you want to sing in Hebrew, I've been writing songs for the Aleph with Beth YouTube channel that people can sing along with that are in very simple Hebrew. So it's the, we pick out verses that are for beginners and more readable than others that we can sing together. So you can check those out if you go to hismagnificence.com slash music. You can find an album there called Sing Hebrew. And I just released a new one that's got Psalm 95.3 in it and a couple verses from Psalm 119. So check that out if you want. Here at Working for the Word, we believe that the Bible is a unified, God-breathed, God-centered, hope-giving book, sweeter than honey and pointing to Jesus. This is a place where we want to treasure the Bible together and ultimately go deeper and become like the man of Psalm 1.